This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelizola, Sam Monson. We are live on YouTube and, of course, previewing all things Week 10 in the NFL. You ready to go? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Let's go. Great. Of course, always, we, uh, we preview Thursday Night Football on yesterday's show, our Wednesday episode, Falcons at the Panthers. Sounds like it's going to be a weather game. That'll help. Weathery game. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to make you know, I'm some interest to it. Will it? I mean, it was the most exciting game in the NFL maybe all year a couple weeks ago. So yeah, should be a good one. Anyway, Falcons-Panthers go to uh, yesterday's show for a little preview. And yesterday's show was also great because we took your bets. We evaluated our preseason bets with our listeners and uh, added a couple others. So you can keep those emails coming in and we can accept those as we go. Mm-hmm. All sound good? Yep. But the first thing everybody has to do is smash the like button like button let's get it right up top thumbs up let's get everybody in there hitting the thumbs up button on youtube and go to the moon go viral right from the get-go yes bring right us from the get-go bring us viral as a team here that's what we're looking to do so appreciate everybody that's doing that all right let's get into the games maybe the game of the week but we'll see what happens at quarterback it's the minnesota vikings at the buffalo bills Josh Allen, they're going to play it right up till game time. We talked a little bit about this yesterday as well. Mm -hmm. Let's get the UCL injury. He's got an elbow injury. Um, We did have someone in the comments say, yeah, this doesn't really go away. So it it could a little bit. Like you can manage it a little bit. You can manage inflammation. Yeah. You can attack it with some drugs. The longer we talk this out, the more I'm thinking this is actually what I've done to my elbow, you know, just as an incidental thing. Yeah, it's good that you're now a throwing expert. And, uh-huh. Yeah. But just the more I hear about this injury for Josh Allen, the more it sounds a lot like what I've done to my elbow. The funny thing is he throws harder with a football than you do with a baseball. Oh, a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's yeah. also 6'5 and like 240 pounds, you know? Yeah. I don't like know that if that I... helps durability. No, but it, it helps power and oh, velocity. Oh, it certainly does. You know? It certainly does. Weight almost directly impacts right. velocity. And even though I'm yeah. carrying a lot of extra poundage from my, uh, my peak he's still outweighing me by quite a lot of pounds. He's got a lot of good weight. He's kind of... Right. You know. That's, I mean, just pure poundage, he outweighs me by that volume before you get to the idea of what is that poundage composed of. So the backup is Case Keenum. Mm. And Case Keenum, as we mentioned yesterday as well, complete opposite. You know, doesn't have a great arm, but, you know, more of the uh, distributor. I mean, he's a backup. He's a backup quarterback. He's a good backup quarterback who can win a few games for you, especially with a solid buffalo bills roster but the vikings are seven and one and even though it always hasn't been pretty finding ways to win on the back of kirk cousins in his fourth quarter magic yeah um i don't think josh Allen will play first and foremost i I do think they'll rest him i and i think 
the reason this is going up to game time is like, why would you give the Vikings the chance to know, you know, now? Yeah. It's going to be Case Keenum. Like, you might as well play it by ear and make them at least think about Josh Allen all the way up to the game. So I suspect once we get to Sunday, it'll be Case Keenum's game. That's what they're going to do. Um, And the thing about that is, like, Buffalo is still the best roster in the NFL. Like, Case Keenum gets to step into one of the best quarterback situations in the league. I wouldn't say the best because, you know, their offensive line is not great. Like, I would say Philadelphia, for example, right now is a better quarterback situation, even if roster top to bottom Buffalo might be better because the Eagles have arguably the best offensive line in the NFL and receivers and blah, blah, blah. Buffalo's issue, if they have one on the roster, is that offensive line is average to below average. So that part isn't great. But Case Keenum's got receivers to throw to, including, by the way, the guy who he was pitching the ball to, you know, no end when he was Minnesota Miracle. Right. Stephon Diggs. So he knows how to make that work. Um, I think the Bills are still well capable of, of winning this game. And then it's a real test now of Christian Darasaw against Von Miller and the rest of that Buffalo pass rush. I still think the best front four in the NFL. Um, Darasaw hasn't given up a sack all season. He's been playing like one of the best offensive linemen in the league. Now we get to see like how real is that. So you, I think everything you're saying is true. But I, I, I think the offensive line of Buffalo is the biggest story here. Because you mentioned a few weeks ago Josh Allen's ridiculous stats under pressure. One of them, one of his passes includes a 98-yard touchdown. So that's going to skew things a little bit. But on the season, we have Josh Allen grading at 75.9, 60 as a passer under pressure. But he's got a 94 run grade under pressure. So here's the deal. Josh Allen, say what you want about the Bills roster, and it's really good and all that stuff. But we also know how many games Josh Allen straight takes over. Mm -hmm. In big games... He's scrambling for first downs. It's third and short. We're running QB power and QB sweep and QB sneaks and the whole thing. It is it is a Josh Allen-led team with a very good roster that helps him, that supports him, right? But the team really has been going as Josh Allen goes. And the offensive line being in the bottom third of the NFL, to me, is a huge concern. Because Allen, he's got a good feel. Look, first, first off, he just out-athletes people yeah. under pressure, right? But he's also aggressive. He's got an average depth of target of 13. He chucks the ball down the field. He's got the arm. He's got the arm to create space to still attack down the field. That's where this game's won and lost, right? The top two defensive graded players for the Vikings, Darius Smith and Danell Hunter, both having good, solid seasons rushing the passer. They're moving those guys around a little bit. I think they're going to, if Case Keenum's the quarterback, the Vikings are going to win up front and Case Keenum's going to be under pressure and he's going to have to make three four five incredible throws i think to you know to get the bills to just just somewhat live up to their potential with keenum under center rather than allen yeah but doesn't it feel like he's capable of doing that as long as you've got stefan diggs and gabriel davis and the receivers that he's got to play with like it's not like his his offensive line was good in that 2017 year when you got the career season out of case keenum like he was much more ryan fitzpatricky that season where it was like my best chance of making something happen is to put the ball in the air and let Stefan Diggs go make a play. No, he did. I mean, but, but again, like that was the only good year of Keenum's career. Other yeah. than that, we've seen a few good games here and there. So like, is he, is he capable in a one-off? Yeah. I mean, that's what that's, that's the description of a, of a backup quarterback, but the odds of case Keenum having success under pressure are lower than Josh Allen. 
right? Of course, in a one-game setting, anything can happen. I, I, but I think this, I think this is a weakness that the Bills have had that we mentioned before the season. If there's one weakness on this roster, the offensive line. It's a weakness that the Bills have had that's going to potentially show up in this game more than it showed up in other games. And, and by weakness, I mean it's a middle-of-the-pack pass blocking grade for the Bills. It's not atrocious. Just talking pass block-wise, it's middle-of-the-pack. The rest of the Bills roster is elite, right? They're creating incredible pressure with four guys without blitzing. They get a good coverage unit. They get a good receivers. The offensive line, I think, gets exploited a little bit more than it has. It's going gonna, gonna, gonna to feel more exploited than it has without Josh Allen under center. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good chance it does, but um, I, I think they've been reasonably comfortable in a lot of these games, and I think Case Keenum is capable of having... He's not going to do Josh Allen things, but he's capable of making plays under pressure, which I think is is the baseline of what we're talking about here. Like, is that Bill's offensive line bad enough that Case Keenum can't function? To which I think the answer is no. Like, he can still have a good game on the other side the vikings offensive line we've talked about quite a bit here they're they're starting to get into that warped uh balance issue right where their run blocking grade is one of the best in the nfl they're up to fourth in team run blocking grade but ninth worst pass blocking grade last week jonathan allen wreaking havoc up front montez sweat uh the bills did not create a lot of pressure against the jets but we laid it out on monday why did that happen well, Zach Wilson had 11 of his 28 dropbacks were RPOs, run pass options, or screens, right? So you're pretty much taking the pass rush out on those plays. And then those other play action and quick hitters and the whole thing. The Vikings are going to have to, I think, play a similar game. Their pass protection shouldn't hold up well against this Bills defensive line unless they steal uh, you know, some concepts from the Jets, move the pocket, and do some things that they like to do to protect that line. Yeah, it, it is interesting how successful the Jets were with that quick passing game plan. Like, that has to give anybody scouting an upcoming game against the Bills an interesting tape to watch and figure out, okay, how do we do that? Because if we just drop back, try and run our usual passing offense, we're going to get swamped. I mean, you look at what they did to Green Bay. The Packers couldn't pass the ball. Like, they went, forget, like, we can't hold up. We have to run the ball. We have to run it 15 plays a drive even though we know there's virtually no chance of us executing a comeback. And you, you got a way. couple spectacular throws from Aaron Rodgers in there, yeah. and that was it. But they, they almost entirely abandoned the pass game with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback because they couldn't hold up against that pass rush. Yeah. So Vikings with, uh, again, a good run-blocking offensive line. So, that, so that's what I would lean into, right? In this game, I would actually lean into the run game if I'm the Vikings because I don't think you need to score. I don't think you need to try to score 30. I don't think you need to get to 24. I think... I think you could try to control the game with the run, let Cousins work off play action, protect him a little bit from the pass rush, and then defensively, again, assuming Keenan, uh, Case Keenum is under center, you're not worried about as explosive of a Bills offense, I don't think. So I, I just I like the Vikings a lot here as far as the matchup. Bills are still favored by three and a half. I don't know how much of that is maybe Josh Allen's there, or if it's if Case Keenum's under center, you're still in Buffalo. We're going three and a half, but I like. Minnesota. I didn't bring a coin to flip, though. You didn't bring a coin. There's like, uh, there's apps for that. You know, you can like an online coin flipper. You could just click in and, and let it go for you. Let me just make one more week of p- uh, picks. <laughs> All right. You, Maybe this is the second week. half of the season. It's a whole new season. Maybe this is the week. Right. Maybe out. it's we'll have like pre-Jeff Saturday picks and post-Jeff Saturday picks. It'll be like that'll be the. I, I think, by the way, line. this this line is reflective of Josh Allen not playing. Like it's moved from nine and a half. I think. 
down. It would be that strong? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, right? Well, no, no, I mean, yeah. But think about, you know, the, like, the sort of power rankings pages at PFF where we show no, I know. The, the number of points the quarterback is worth. I mean, it sounds right that Josh Allen is worth around six points more than Case Keenum, at least. So true. I think this is basically saying we're almost certain Case Keenum is the quarterback here. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm just buying into – so listen, this happens in college football a lot where you just look at like the loss total for a team – and you see, oh, this team has two losses. They must be terrible. Like, people are writing off Alabama because they have two losses. It's like there's, there's a fine line between those wins and losses. That's really the Vikings this year. I'm starting to buy into, well, they're 7-1. and one. I'm starting to buy into it. Mm. Maybe too much. But I'm going to buy into it this year. I, I think the matchup, a non-Josh Allen matchup, I think looks good for the Vikings here. Yeah, I think Buffalo is still good enough that even with Case Keenum, a quarterback, they can cover that number. So I'm going to go with Buffalo. All right, you are, huh? Where am I? losing my uh let's go to symbol you guys have heard me talk about them we talked about them yesterday on the show but our sponsor symbol has the best offer yet for new users symbol is offering a 500 risk-free deposit for new users who join the stock market for sports when you sign up with the code football your first deposit will be will come with a 30-day money-back guarantee if you're hesitant on joining or simply haven't joined yet now you can with a risk-free deposit as a reminder symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win symbol is a peer-to-peer market that took the thrill of sports betting and turned it into the stock market to give fans a new way to speculate on your favorite pro and college teams and now you can join with a 500 money-back guarantee so download the symbol mobile app for iOS by searching, remember the spelling here, S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store and use code FOOTBALL to get your risk-free deposit up to $500. Whether you want to invest in a 6-2 and two team like the Giants, a 7-1 and one team like the Minnesota Vikings, or the Buffalo Bills, the team that's looked like the best team in the NFL the entire season, Symbol allows you to buy and sell team stocks and profit from your sports knowledge. All right, let's go to Germany. <laughs> Like right, right, right now. Yeah. We can, I mean, go right now. Go see Timo. Seattle Seahawks at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks favored by three in the NFL's first ever game over in Germany. It didn't look like a great matchup coming into the season, but Seattle's good now. They're six and three. First regular season game. They've held those first regular preseason season things, right? Didn't they do that in like the 80s? Yeah. Like way like back? Back in the day. Just laying they held the games out all over the place. Laying the groundwork to come back 30 years later. Yeah. That's what, that's what they were doing. It worked. Um, what are you looking for in this one? Bucks favored by three, despite being four and five compared to the Seahawks' six and three record. Yeah, and not, you know, not at home. It's not really at home. Yeah, so that is a that is an interesting line. Um, I, I mean, I guess the the first question is, like, did that final drive last week actually spark something in Tampa Bay, or is this the same as it always has been this year? And they just had one nice moment at the end of that game, you know? Because, you know, Brady was really pumped at the end of that game that everything would look good. This is like, okay, we can get the season back on track, blah, blah, blah. But now you got to show that you actually learned something and he didn't. Like, it, it's one of those moments that has the potential to kind of jolt everybody alive right. and, and realize that the season isn't done. We can get this thing going. You know, we're still in first place in the division. We're going to make the playoffs probably, um, and that gives us a chance. Or, I mean, they can still struggle the way they have all season long. They're four and five. They're not winning a lot of games. The offense looks just lost in the sauce. Um, so that's my 
question is, does this look different to any other game, or do they just have one nice moment in the season that sucks? Yeah, so my, my initial feeling, and it might sound like my Bucks analysis when they played the Panthers or the Steelers, the matchup should be better for the Bucks to move the ball offensively. So uh, the Rams have always had really good success against the Bucks. The Bucks are struggling offensively this year. It, it kind of made sense that last week felt like, hey, no one's open. Hey, you're under pressure. Hey, you know, things aren't working offensively until that final drive. So I, I think the Bucks should have a, a good enough matchup to move the ball offensively against the Seahawks. All that said, among the stories of the season, if you just listed, I mean, we did this today, right? Biggest surprises of the NFL season. We said, hey, it's Geno Smith and the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks defense is up there now. And it might just be a, a three or four week trend here because they started off slow. But the entire Seahawks team felt like a rebuild. It really felt like a rebuild on the defensive side of the ball. Mm. But you've got guys like Uchenna and Wosu. We've talked a ton about Tariq Woolen, the fifth round corner, looking awesome as a rookie. Uh, you've got uh, Ryan Neal really stepping in as a more than one game solid safety so the other story of the season is seattle's defense finding some players man just finding guys that are contributing and being way better in recent weeks than they were early so i think the bucks offense will have some success but i want to see if if the seahawks d is for real too because they're they're starting to find some underrated players on that side of the ball yeah, they are. Like that, their defense has been playing a lot better than I thought it would, and, and that they were even at the start of the season. And then obviously the whole thing on offense is being led by Gino, who continues to play well, even if he has a mistake or an error here and there. Um, so I, I think that the, the rush to write the eulogy of Tom Brady and, and, you know, articulate his demise this season is a little over the top. I think Tom Brady is still actually playing reasonable football, but. The offense isn't the like the offense just isn't functioning. Um, I, I think every all the constituent elements of the Buccaneers' offense are actually individually not terrible. It's just that somehow put together, it's not functioning, and the timing of bad plays is really bad. Is, isn't aren't those the things that you should bet on though? Like that you should say the elements are here to turn it around. Yeah, right. Because there's no. We've I've said this through the years. We've been doing this podcast for over ten years. Why, why was the Chiefs offense bad at times last year? We could point to like, oh, there's two high coverages and stuff. But it really was like Mahomes would throw a bad pass, it would get picked. Mahomes would throw a good pass, it would get tipped and get picked, right? A lot of weird things went wrong for the Chiefs last year. And it's like, all right, at some point those won't happen anymore. The Bucks, they don't have, they have elements of that, right? Where it's one thing's going wrong per play. And then on the final drive against the Rams, nothing went wrong, right? There wasn't a holding call. There wasn't an illegal formation there wasn't whatever a drop so yeah I, I could see the bucks bouncing back here um all that said julio jones might not be a go um you, you still have the issue of chris godwin's not the same guy not even being used in the same way it's it's really mike evans rookie kate otten at tight end so there, there's a weapons issue in tampa bay and they're going to keep trying to run the ball into a brick wall until a, they break one so we'll see how that goes on the other side the question's Geno Smith, you know, keeping it up. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and the great Kenneth Walker at running back. Rookie with you know, one of the best rushing grades in the NFL this year. Yeah. Um, the the fact that Seattle is, that draft class, like top to bottom, just looks really good. Um, they got two starting offensive tackles that are playing pretty well as rookies. Kenneth Walker is playing really well as a rookie. The defense uh, guys are playing really well. Like, they genuinely... 
it's it's half a season so maybe you know jumping the gun but so far the evidence says that that might be one of the best draft classes that anybody has had in years the 2017 saints had uh, ryan ramchak uh, i'm gonna do this off the top of my head here marshawn Lattimore, ryan ramchak marcus williams alvin kamara and trey hendrickson all of those guys same draft class hendrickson was off to a bit of a slow start but they've all become incredible players obviously five legitimate players over the first three rounds the seahawks may be picking up two starting tackles in charles cross and abe lucas fifth rounder Tariq woolen second rounder kenneth walker am i missing somebody in that uh kobe bryant's played mm-hmm. pretty well at corner as well it's not exactly like the saints were getting stars these guys could become stars it, it, it's a very good start but to me that's like the last draft class that i can think of that's actually comparable yeah um, if, if if it trends this way, both tackles have been good. They've been good for rookies. They're not exceptional. Yeah. Tariq Woolen looks like a future star. Walker looks like a star, you know, relative to the running back position. Yeah, and it's you know half a season. Anything. It is half a season. I'm just saying this is the type of class. This is why our preseason projection was way off for Seattle. Geno Smith's development and these rookies, you know, playing extremely well for for Seattle. So. When we were doing our preview, all the teams that felt like we were rebuilding, what are you watching for this year, Seahawks fans? Yeah, I mean, Guys that are going to be a part of your future. Like, you're seeing it right now. It's a great season if you're a Seahawks fan. Seattle's offensive line was ranked 32nd heading into the league. Because you're like, a pair, we didn't know. We didn't know anything. A pair yeah. of rookie offensive tackles, plus the interior guys that aren't great. And all of a sudden, both the tackles are playing at least average football. That immediately changes it from a complete, you know, it's no longer anywhere near 32nd because you have two capable starting tackles right off the bat. Um, did you see Tom Brady say he almost retired when he was 27? I did not. I mean, he was, it was in an ad chilling TV 12, so, but he was basically saying he almost retired at the age of 27 because of elbow pain. You know, maybe he had what I have as well. <laughs> what was that, like 05? Uh, 06? Something, not even, yeah. His first year was 20, he was 23. It's like 05. That would have been... That would have uh, changed some stories. We would have missed some stuff. Yeah. Peyton Manning would have like six, six <laughs> Super Bowl rings. That was four rings ago. Did you ever think of that? Like if the if the Mannings were never born, Brady's got like 12. Right, think Brady, the other way around. If Brady right. never happens, where are all, all how those many, rings going? Just Peyton. Like how many Super Bowls does Peyton have if Brady never, is, never exists or yeah. Brady walks away at 27? Peyton didn't even get to Brady games, though, a lot of the time, so. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I, honestly, if... That's the NFL we might be heading to. Without Brady winning every other year, we're gonna. Ha- we should have different Super Bowl winners. You would we think. should have more variety. Yeah. Unless you know Mahomes wants to go on a six-ring binge or something like that. Um, no, but I didn't see that. No. Well, it happened. Yeah. Or he said it happened anyway. Yeah, that's good. That's good marketing. And here I am. But then you know he he went on the TV twelve method and now he's forty-five years old, yeah. needing to keep going for years because FTX just went down the spiral. Oh yeah, I mean Brady. <laughs> how much money did he lose, man? I don't know. I who knows. And Giselle Brady may well be smart enough, and/or have people around him that are smart enough that he's well insulated from that. So who the hell knows? Giselle's paying Tommy uh, child support. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Brady might be around for another five years. Who knows? I'm more uh, in tune with the billionaire than the millionaire. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. the multimillionaire. Yeah, not really your thing. No. Billionaires, though. Mm-hmm. You should have told me more about Ursay and his thought process yesterday. I mean, it was just funny. I mean, look, the, again, the, the part of me that <laughs> I, if I was going to be a billionaire, I would live my life quite a lot like Jerry Jones lives his life, you know, just to hell with you guys. I'm rich. You're not, mm. basically. 
that's kind of what Ursay did, right? Yeah, so you respect that. You're a big you're a big fan of that though. I think it's hilarious, but I can't hate it. I mean, I want to hire my buddy for this job. What the hell? This is the way the world works. Like rich people just hire guys they know for positions of importance right around them. Like this is the world around everybody. Like that's how it works. Would everybody you hire does me that. or am I just like a means to an end? I'm just like a podcast partner, not really a friend. I mean, it depends what the job was, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. Fair enough. I'd All hire right. you. Like, you know, it, somebody was saying if Jeff Saturday can get the gig, like everybody should be putting in their application for the Panthers job. Like, if I got the Panthers job, I'd hire everybody for some kind of job, right? You know, we're going to get fired in 18 months anyway. We might as well get a yeah. bonus payout on the way out the door. Everybody gets a job. Free gigs for everybody. And then 18 months' time, we all get a little bonus. That's the dream. Yeah. That's the dream. Sorry, don't put that on record. I don't want to get fired in the NFL. I want to have a long, successful I mean, career. you don't not want to get fired. You know. It depends on the contract. Yeah. All right. Bucks by three. Where are you leaning on this one? Uh, I'm going to go with the Seahawks on this. I think that's... I'm taking Seattle, too. I don't quite understand why the Bucks are favored by three. I mean, I think it's, I think it's the multi-year totality of the people on the roster in Tampa Bay are good. They've, yeah, they're getting look, some players back on defense as well the last couple of weeks. That's even understanding what we've been saying, that they are underachieving relative to what they're capable of. Right. But I still don't really, until I see the reason for that to turn around right yeah. now, I'm not... Like, I will buy into that when you show me that you have figured out something different. And I didn't see that. Like, I'm not saying that happened just because of the last drive. Yeah, and and you have a Seattle team that plays their close games. And a couple weeks ago, we saw the Ravens absolutely wreck the Bucs in the second half with their run game. That's how Seattle's been winning, right? With Kenneth Walker and their O-line just wearing teams down in the second half. Could see that happen if Seattle gets up here. So take the Seahawks to cover the three. Let's go to Sunday Night Football. And then we'll get to our special new sponsor. But uh, Los Angeles Chargers at the San Francisco 49ers. It's Sunday night football. And the Niners are favored by seven, Sam. Mm, Yeah. That feels strong. This is a weird week where almost every line is three. And then there's like three games where there's actually a chunky line. Couple big, yeah. Couple big lines in there. So the the Chargers are sitting there five and three, right? Yeah. Five and three Chargers. But they don't feel they don't feel like a good five and three. No. Right, coming into the season, we thought Chargers, good team, good young quarterback, adding these new pieces. Boom, they're at the you know they're challenging the Chiefs at the top of the division, and even though they're a game behind, they're not in any legitimate power rankings and stuff like that. They're not actually that close. PFF power rankings, in fact, have the Chargers at twentieth. So our data not believing in the Chargers at all. Niners are ranked sixth in our power rankings, so that would explain part of the discrepancy there. Yeah, the it's like two teams in the opposite um, in opposite spaces right now. You're right. It, the Chargers actually have a reasonable record and are vaguely well positioned for the season going on, but it feels really bad. The 49ers are almost the opposite. They are sitting there at four and four, and if you look at the teams they've beaten, it's not exactly a who's who of contenders. And yet everybody feels great about the 49ers and thinks they're going to be a you know a contending team going forward and blah blah blah. But like their four wins are against the Rams twice, which doesn't count for two different reasons. One, because the Rams can't function with their offensive line right now. And two, because they always beat the Rams, right? <laughs> Those don't count. Well, they, you know what I mean? Like, I at least you sort of put yeah. a pin in it and go, okay, who else have you beaten? So in addition to two wins over the Rams, they've beaten Carolina and Seattle right at the start of the season before we realized Seattle might actually be okay. Um, that's not exactly a great resume of success going forward. Like... 
yes, they've they've got they're four and four, and they're in a reasonable position. They own that seventh wild card or seventh playoff spot right now in the NFC, but they really haven't done a lot this season to suggest that they are a very good team. So, you know, the the data likes them a lot. Obviously, Vegas likes them a lot um, with this line. But I think this is quite a important game for them to go out and sort of show that this is um, legitimate praise or legitimate faith in this team and not something we're projecting that doesn't actually exist. I mean, a big part of the issue, we've talked a lot about Justin Herbert and his inability, unwillingness, lack of creativity schematically, whatever it is, will, not going down the field, right? Justin Herbert not taking advantage of his arm. We know that the receiver position has been a massive issue for the Chargers, injury-wise. Keenan Allen barely seeing the field. Mike Williams looks like he's out this week. So that's a part of it, right? If we're going to talk about it for other quarterbacks, you have to talk about it for Herbert. But if I told you coming into the season, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have twice as many, basically twice as many big-time throws on a percentage basis than Justin Herbert. That'd be crazy, right? Because Herbert, we know, is capable of it. That's what he does. That's mm-hmm. the highlight reel. That's why everybody's buying into Herbert. And Garoppolo doesn't make big-time throws. This year he is, though, more than he usually has. So it is this conservative, you know, underneath passing attack with the Chargers with Justin Herbert under center. And it still feels like a waste, even though a, a lot of it's been dependent on injury, receiver issues. At what point do the Chargers just start attacking down the field let josh palmer go up and make plays let some of these guys just go up and make plays i mean i think that's a big part of the discrepancy here also this could have been a bosa versus bosa matchup but joey's on the ir Mm. with a groin injury khalil mack also didn't practice yesterday i mean the chargers once again i know a lot of teams are destroyed by injuries this is the time of the year where it starts to like really show up more but the chargers have a lot of good players not playing the identical bosa brothers are dealing with identical groin injuries only one of them is further along in the process of yeah. recovering than the other one this might be nick bosa coming back right this might be the nick game should be that, back that he gets back um the yes that's a pretty interesting the people who don't know that historically like every time we go to put a ranking together pff 101 the pff 50 the data on the Bosa brothers is almost identical across the board. Always. And now they're going to have identical... Uh, I mean, they really are like the G.I. Joe twins. Yeah. Right? One mean, guy feels pain, the other guy feels pain. You know, <laughs> Nick Bosa being back is a transformative addition to this team if he stays healthy. Like, he he's still like fourth or fifth or something in total pressures despite not playing the last couple of weeks. Um, and he goes up against either rookie Sawyer, who's been pretty good at left tackle, um, or Trey Pipkins at right tackle. And if for some reason Trey Pipkins ends up getting, you know, isn't in the game, it's Storm Norton. So that's a pretty stern test for all three of the guys that the Chargers have that could play tackle. Um, and one of the, the underrated sort of aspects of their season has been Rashawn Slater goes down at left tackle, Sawyer comes in, a rookie six-round pick. Um, he's actually done really well like picking up that slack. He has yes. not been in any way, shape, or form a liability. So what looked like a potential body blow to this offense going forward really hasn't been so far. But Nick Bosa is the kind of player that can test that. Now he's been, he's one of the, there seems to be a lot of players this year actually that are switching up where they line up as, as edge rushers. Like yeah. in, we, we kind of got lodged into this world of edge rushers lining up on one side of the line or not. And I don't know if there's something specific to this year, but a lot of the top guys now are bouncing around left to right. They, 
either do it in game you know they 50 percent of their snaps are on one side or the other or week to week they're moving around whether i don't know if they if they're identifying matchups that they want or if they've just decided like i'm not sure what's driving that but that seems way more prevalent this year than usual yeah, I mean, I th- I, honestly, I think one of the biggest stories of the season is just defenses fighting back, man. You know, whether it's schematically, whether it is moving pass rushes around, uh, playing more zone, defenses are making adjustments, and that's why scoring's down. And again, I think that's why we've got a little bit more variance this year, and that's why my picks are terrible. So let's get to the that's picks. Why. That's why. Gotcha. It's defense's fault because they're they're doing different stuff. Uh, seven feels like a lot yeah. here on Sunday Night Football, even in San Francisco. The Chargers. It feels like one of those where a Brandon Staley decision is either going to work <laughs> to keep it close and keep them competitive or they're going to get blown out because of the decision backfiring, right? The fourth and ones in your own territory where you don't get it. The other thing, I, I think this is a pretty good matchup, actually, for the 49ers defense against the Chargers offense. Um, that puts the focus back on the other side of the ball a bit. And as much as the 49ers aren't necessarily the all-world rushing team that people tend to think they are, the Chargers defense is little better, if any, against the run than they were last year. Yeah, that's a good so point. So that, it doesn't feel like a great matchup for the Chargers on either side of the ball, but seven points is a lot. So I'm going to go with the Chargers to cover that. We've also, we've seen Christian McCaffrey as part of the Niners offense for two weeks now. One was the right, that the week he got traded against the Chiefs and and then the last time we saw him was where he set NFL records. Yeah, passing <laughs> touchdown, rushing touchdown, receiving touchdown, and uh, had an excellent game. So, yeah, that's um, that might be, might make me lean Niners too. I I think McCaffrey has helped their offense, right? And the fact that they are rolling all those playmakers out there, and McCaffrey's the the cherry on top. You know, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to San Francisco that okay. they're going to cover it. Mm-hmm. We'll say Staley's decisions will come back. We'll come back to bite here in this one. All right, I want to tell you about our, our, our new friends over at Prize Picks and how you can uh, you want to download their app, go to prizepicks.com, sign up, and play daily fantasy sports. Mm-hmm. You want to talk a little bit more about it, Sam, what we have here? Yeah, they've got um, pretty much any sports and or enterprise you can think of. They've got a bunch of eSports and stuff as well. You can go and, and build your kind of – their big thing is like these parlays, but you can do it across multiple sports. You can just build up this ticket. Um, and what I really like about them is you don't have to hit, you don't have to bat a thousand. You don't have to hit every single uh, play you want to make in this thing for it to function. You can hit, the odds change slightly if you hit just three out of four. So I built a par, a little parlay for myself based off this, right? Mine is Josh Allen hitting less than his, uh, his passing yards, largely because I think he's not going to play. I don't know if, what the deal is if he doesn't play, whether they pull that from the card or whether I just get lucky. Uh, I also think Marcus Mariota ends up rushing for more yards than he's scheduled to hit right there, 29.5. I think he hits over that. That's only a couple of runs for him. And then my third one is I think Travis Kelsey ends up with more receiving yards than the 73.5 he's scheduled to make. So you build out your little ticket there, and then you can decide whether to hit a power play, i.e. you have to bat a 1,000, or whether you can still get a payout if you hit, you know, two of the three, which I really like. Because you think every week you see those tickets on Twitter, you know, the guy that was one play away yeah, yeah. from hitting the jackpot. This, this lets you uh, dodge a bullet there and still get paid out. So this is awesome. Love the concept. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. 
Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. That includes NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, as you mentioned, Sam, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, uh-huh. and more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. So here's the deal. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code PFF1. That's PFF1. That's your promo code here. If you deposit $100, prize pick will give you $100. If you deposit $50, prize picks gives you $50. Pretty simple. Don't forget to enter promo code PFF1 at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. So it's the prize picks app or prizepicks.com. Sign up and play daily fantasy sports. All right, let's go to Dallas Cowboys at the Green Bay Packers. We've been waiting for this one for a couple of years now, huh? Rodgers versus McCarthy, first time. Mm. Little reunion here in Green Bay. And um, yeah, not as not as exciting as you thought it might be with a 3-6 <laughs> and six Packers team. But remember the 2016 Mike McCarthy Packers were 4-6 and six and then ran the table after Rodgers called us out and called everybody out and all the whole thing. But it's uh, Cowboys by four and a half here in Green Bay. It's only just occurred to me. Are the Green Bay Packers the exploding whale this year? Oh. They, they're what, three and six right now? Yeah. On a five-game losing skid. And their upcoming schedule is this Dallas game, Tennessee, Philadelphia, away to Chicago, who are all of a sudden dangerous. Like, that's four rough games. Is the exploding whale, can that be a multi-week thing? No. No, the idea is like it's one explosion, right? The buildup of toxic fumes from the decaying body of the once great, you know, ocean-going leviathan. And then it just builds up too much. Something, you know, something triggers it and then boom. Sure sounds like Blows up and destroys a team, right? So that could be this week against Dallas. It could be against the Eagles to ruin their perfect season. So the Packers are on this five-game losing skid of decay. They've been washed up on the beach for five games now, just rotting away, and all it takes is one spark, and suddenly the whole thing explodes and drowns everyone in, in rotting whale flesh. I'm just saying that could be this week. I need you to declare when the... Uh... No, I can't declare it, but I'm just... I'm, I'm, it's, it's dead whale watch is what it's it is. Dead, it's dead whale <laughs> it's watch. dead whale watch. We need, we need music and or some sort of logo yeah. for that. Uh-huh. So when the game pops up... We need some sort of overlay right. that says Dead Whale Watch. This is Dead Whale and Watch. And if the Packers lose this week, as you mentioned, it'll probably be the next four weeks, especially like the Eagles game. The Titans, who the heck knows? That yeah. way. It's Thursday night right. football. I think that if, if the Packers lose this game, big Dead Whale Watch game against the Eagles <laughs> in three weeks. Big watch. Well, I think this is the thing. The, the Packers are still compelling, even if they're not going to go to the Super Bowl, even if they're not even going to make the playoffs this year, because... It's still Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, and you know he's capable of one game where he just decides to be that old Aaron Rodgers, where he decides, you know what, I know I've been missing guys, I know I've been misreading plays because I don't trust anybody. Today, I'm going to show up and be perfect. But if he does that, they're still really difficult to beat. The interesting thing about Brady and Rodgers, right, compared to the other fall-off-the-cliff quarterbacks, right, there's really not a physical drop-off. Yeah. When so or think, obviously a mental one, like they're still like they didn't become yeah. dumb overnight. No, but the the mental one kind of shows up in trust, as you're saying. Yeah. Or, um, you know, maybe yeah, we mentioned this a couple of years ago. Maybe making like really quick decisions on the fly, it goes a little bit slower than before, right? 
either way, there's not like a physical drop-off. Historically, we saw Joe Montana basically falling apart at the end of his career. We saw Peyton Manning just throwing ducks. We saw Drew Brees throwing ducks. Mm-hmm. Rodgers and Brady haven't dropped off physically, which is why I do think in any given week, it's going to be like, all right, these guys, they're throwing the ball all right. Their accuracy isn't – I mean, Rodgers' accuracy might be better now than it has been in recent weeks. I know he's made some bad throws and decisions, yeah. but like throw-for-throw throw accuracy, Rodgers still throwing the ball pretty well. Brady's still throwing the ball pretty well. That's why it's tough to write them off and just say, well, they're 3-6, and six, they must be bad. But we know that the Packers' entire situation has to get better. The O-line's got to block better. The receivers have to get better, be on the same page. You just don't know if one of those weeks they, you know, they are, they're hitting, right? And um, maybe this is it. Yeah, somebody, um, somebody posted in the comments on yesterday's show on YouTube. Um, it's a pretty well-articulated point. He was basically saying that, well, your grading system is flawed because the outside influences around a quarterback essentially drag the grade up or down you know like the only difference between Tua last year and Tua this year is the fact that now he has Tyreek Hill wide open every single play and yet his grade is now one of the best in the NFL so your grading system is is just bad right because he's the same guy well the point I was making in the reply is that look first of all we said to him yeah first of all we said before that it's impossible to separate a player from the situation around him the grades do it as best as you can but it's literally impossible. Like, it affects everything, and there's no way of analyzing a guy without it being influenced to some degree. Like, if you're, the only way of doing it would be literally to do what scouts do to an, to an extent and say, all I'm interested in are traits. How good is this guy's arm? How big is he? How fast is he? That's all I'm looking at here. And theoretically, traits shouldn't change. Yeah, but right? even that, like, the, the, the plays where you're going to get a view of his arm are influenced by who's open and where he's throwing. You know, even that is influenced yeah. to a degree. But anyway, my point being, it isn't just what's around him that is different this year because what is around him changes how he plays the game, which changes him being good or bad. So Tua isn't just the same guy from last year with a better situation because with the better situation, you are seeing him do things now that he couldn't or wouldn't do last year because the opportunities are different. And this is like with Aaron Rodgers. So Rodgers right now has a grade that's like 15 grading points worse than it was a year ago, which is, by the way, almost exactly the same drop-off that he experienced in that 2015 season when he had no wide receivers. And it went, so it went like 90 before, 75, 90, and now it's going 90, 90, 75. Like it's the same drop-off. But that isn't just saying that good wide receivers around Aaron Rodgers are worth 15 grading points. Like it's the receivers causing that drop. Because when you look at him, he's now misreading coverages and not seeing open guys and making bad throws. But I, I think it's because of the influence. It's like, you know, Baker Mayfield starts to play worse in the pocket under pressure because Greg Robinson is his left tackle. So all of a sudden, every play, he's thinking, uh-oh, is the pressure coming from over there? Is I, you know, his eyes on the blind yeah. side, he's running around. And it makes him start to play worse above and beyond simply what the amount of pressure he's getting creates. So I think that's what we're seeing with Rodgers is I think the root cause of all this is he has no receivers. But it doesn't just mean that that reduces the offensive effectiveness by the amount that bad receivers created. It compounds everything. And it actually makes everything look worse than it is and makes everything play worse than it is, which is why what is fundamentally a pretty good pass-blocking offensive line couldn't hold up against Buffalo, which is why Aaron Rodgers doesn't see an open tight end sitting right in front of him in the middle of the field because the wide receivers are so bad that the whole thing starts to disintegrate. 
so yeah, astute point by you and by our um, YouTube viewer. Um, here's part of part of the thing that we've seen. Like you said, you can never completely decouple quarterbacks from their situation. However, when it when you look at quarterback play, PFF grade is still the most consistent year to year metric. And, and then when, what you do is you refine it and you look at the pieces of that grade. So we've talked about, oh, clean pocket's gonna remain more stable than pressured pocket, right? But when you're evaluating a quarterback's production, you're still gonna look at pressured pocket because it was something that he did. We're evaluating everything that he did, but you're trying to pull out the pieces that are gonna be consistent year to year. What we found with quarterbacks is their negatives are more consistent than their positives, right? So their negative plays, their misthrows, their misreads and all that stuff are more consistent because they are more dependent on the quarterback than the receivers. Positively graded plays, though, do tend to fluctuate a little bit. And that is where the argument is add more to the supporting cast. And that's what we're seeing. Tua is number one in the NFL right now in positively graded play percentage. That takes a huge jump this year in part because of his, of his receivers. We still have to give him credit for hitting those, right? But we have, we, we have seen that was, when, that was when like Josh Allen made his big jump right in year three when he had a Stephon Diggs when he had guys that could get open right as as he got Cole Beasley and John Brown and Stephon Diggs there were more open throw opportunities beyond the sticks his positively graded throws went up his grade goes up so there's some truth to it but when you add it all up put EPA put yards per attempt put touchdown to interception ratio put all the numbers up against PFF grade and PFF grade is the most consistent quarterback metric year to year knowing that it's not one-to-one nothing's one-to-one we're talking 0.55 right we're talking not you know it's not perfect but it's the best as far as consistency goes so all good stuff rogers playing well but the offense as a whole i mean rogers playing fine the offense as a whole terrible um we started to see rogers throwing passes into coverage though those are the things he never really did yeah right um the weak uh, and then the comeback attempt you know just some weak one-on-one low percentage throws that's the story of this Packers offense this year but that's why low percentage throws or underneath stuff relying on yak that's why I think it 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 affects more than the sort of direct straight line things like it same with Baker Mayfield last year with a shoulder injury right you look at it in the surface you're like well it's his non-throwing shoulder why would that affect him misreading coverages like why would a shoulder injury make him start pitching the ball to a safety or a linebacker that he didn't see right and i think it's because it does affect that stuff because when you have a shoulder injury that bad even if it's only subconscious you are constantly thinking about it and trying not to get hurt and that changes your mental uh processing when you're trying to make decisions and maybe you make a dumb decision that you wouldn't have made before when you didn't have to worry about somebody jumping on your shoulder you know so with rogers when he doesn't trust any of his receivers ah, any of his receivers being in the right place at the right time when he can't trust that sammy watkins isn't going to like deviate and decide to adjust his route on the fly after he's you know made a a, a release off the line it changes his thought process so instead of simply going you know through his progression one to two to three He's like, one, but is he going to make it? Like, can I, you know what I mean? And it, it's all of a sudden he finds himself pitching the ball right to a defender or just ignoring the guy that came open over the middle because he's still debating whether the first guy is going to do something dumb if he puts the ball in the air. Like, it changes things that you don't think it should change because it's messing with the whole process in the background. All right, so all that said, what's going to happen in this one? So that's, I still think that we're on a watch for any given day. Rogers just hitting the right plays every time and deciding because the thing is like their backs are really against the wall now like they're 
three and six, and they have this run of four games that are really tough. They can't afford to lose. They can't afford to go less than 500 in that run of games. Otherwise, they're probably out of the playoffs completely. So in this one, my my issue is the we've seen Rodgers without Devontae Adams. They go up against a good pass rush or whatever it might be. A lot of times it's it's the underneath stuff. It's the horizontal pass game. We saw this against the Giants pretty heavily. Knowing that Micah Parsons and that good pass rush is on the other side, I don't see Rodgers taking those chances down the field. And I think it's on the Cowboys to just tackle, keep those plays in front of you. And and I think the Cowboys I, – I, I think the Packers are going to play a conservative brand of football against this Packers defense. So I have concerns there. And then, honestly, I think it comes down to, like, which Dak's been better and better in his limited sample – and is this offense last year's offense, right? Last year's offense, uh, number two in points per game when it, uh, just on the offensive side of the ball. If it's, if it's creeping up towards last year's offense, even without Amari Cooper, I mean, Dallas dominates this game, I think. Yeah, it's a pretty ugly matchup, I think, for that Packers offense. Like, you, the Dallas have a pass rush, I think, every bit as good as Buffalo. And they have Trayvon Diggs on the back end, who is, you know, a ball hawk and going to potentially punish any risky throw you put in the air. And he's really good at the catch point. So as much as he might give up some plays, he is going to do a better job of playing the ball in the air than most of the players that Green Bay can possibly deploy as viable receiving options. So it feels like Green Bay might have to run the same kind of game plan they did against Buffalo of just trying to run the ball. And Dallas is... A little bit below average against the run but not catastrophic so then yeah it goes to the other side of the ball and green bay just lost their best pass rusher Rashawn gary isn't there anymore so yeah packers are beat up that helps uh dallas's offense it feels like dallas should win this and cover reasonably comfortably just for some perspective espn's qbr which i've referenced before they fo- yeah, focus more on air yards sack yards are a big factor there epa the whole thing Aaron Rodgers is 27th, right? So we have Aaron Rodgers dropping from one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, not the top last year, but one of the top to about 10th this year, um, 11th this year in overall grade. They've got him dropping to comparing to the likes of Kenny Pickett, this year's Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, Davis Mills. Like that's the range Rodgers is in using ESPN's QBR. I'll also admit Sometimes ESPN's QBR matches your feels better, matches your perception better, because it is, it's kind of outcome driven. It's a lot of EPA. Like, it's a lot of did this offense move the ball driven. That's where Rodgers is in that particular metric. In ours, we have him throwing the ball better, making better decisions, thro- throwing the ball accurately, whatever, um, even if they're not leading to valuable plays, right? That's where drops come in and, and the whole thing. So, just an interesting balance so if it feels like Aaron Rodgers is in the Packers offense has been terrible this year it has been right by by at least those those types of metrics all that said I'm going Dallas here in this uh in this comeback in this Rodgers McCarthy game man should be fun whale watch game whale watch what is it exploding exploding whale watch. dead whale watch game dead whale watch exploding whale watch exploding whale watch game is what we're going here we need that tagline Cleveland Browns at the Miami Dolphins. We'll go a little bit quicker through some of these other games here. <laughs> Dolphins at, by three and a half here. Will there be any stops in this game? Yeah. like so. Jacoby Brissett revenge game against his former Jacobi Dolphins. Jacoby Brissett revenge game. Mm. There's a revenge game every week. They're all fun. Yeah. Uh, 
the this game is a real like pick your poison for the Browns defense. Tyreek Hill is the number one graded wide receiver in the NFL against man coverage. He's the number one graded receiver in the NFL against zone coverage. There's no way of stopping Tyreek Hill. He's also he has the highest yards per route run figure by a mile from the slot. He also has the highest yards per route run figure from out wide. Good like stats. he is crushing everybody from every alignment. And Green Bay or not Green Bay, Cleveland's defense has given up some pretty big games to wide receivers so far this season. Now, most of them happened early in the year. They've been better in recent weeks. Part of that's who they played. But like this, God, I don't know how they stop Tyreek Hill. And by the way, if they do figure out how to stop Tyreek Hill, you've only got Jalen Waddle and Mike Gusecki and the rest of the offense to worry about. Brown's defense is obnoxious. Last time we saw them, though, it was Monday Night Football against the Bengals. The Bengals were fresh off of not having – they didn't have Jamar Chase. Or they did. Didn't. That was their, yeah, that was their first game without Jamar Chase. Yeah. And it felt like it. And consequently, they were bad. Yeah, and, and so – you know how much stock do you put in that right it's like oh the browns defense did a great job how much of it was the bengals adjusting for not having jamar chase how much of it was just the matchup the browns have played pretty well against the bengals in recent history here um but the browns defense should never have been as bad as they were you know throughout the year uh the browns are really weak on the defensive line outside of Jadavian Clowney and miles garrett um and Denzel Ward, he's questionable. He could be coming back. Obviously, you're going to need Ward with uh, with Tyree Kill there. You know, Ward is the one guy when the Browns and Chiefs played a few times. We said skill set wise, you know, size, speed, movement skills, one of a handful of corners who at least could match up with Tyree Kill. Not that you're playing, <laughs> right? Like just could. Yeah. If you said Denzel Ward, who's like a sub 4-4 guy with really good quicks, with really good agility, could match up with Tyree Kill. Um, so that could be interesting when they're matched up. But, of course, there's Jalen Waddle on the other side. The Dolphins are just doing a great job of putting those guys in space, creating big plays, and they're both getting there, Sam. They're both dominant. Mm. Um, to me, this game comes down to Tua not throwing the ball to the defense, man. You know, he, he hasn't the last couple of weeks. He did for the rest of his career. You know, if that's, that's one of the places where Tua has gotten better, right? It's not as simple as he's the same guy last year and this year and – you know, now he's got better receivers. Two weeks ago, he was throwing the ball to Pittsburgh a ton. It was his first game back. Last year, we saw it a bunch, but the last couple of weeks, two is doing a much better job yeah. of taking care of the ball. Multiple turnover-worthy plays in four of his first five games this season, and then the last two, he hasn't had one. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that honestly, that's, that, that's the game changer for Miami. Yeah. Tua doesn't have to be special. You take, take, all the, take everything that's there, throw the ball accurately the, the way he has been, throw the ball on time. Don't make those boneheaded decisions that have marred his his first two plus years in the league. That was that was one of the things he needed to get better at. I'm not saying he's completely turned the corner here with two weeks of clean football, but if he continues yeah. that, the I mean, Dolphins are really dangerous. Yes, that offense goes from very good to almost unstoppable if he has a clean game. In addition to just doing everything else that he's doing, like if he has no turnover, he plays. I mean, the two weeks that's happened, he's had three touchdowns and over 300 yards and over 10 yards per attempt in each one of those games, completing over 70% of his passes in each one of those games. Like that, it's almost impossible to stop. His passer rating for those two games is over 135. Like if that's the kind of game he has where he doesn't put the ball in harm's way, I, your, your offense is going to have to have a special day because their offense is putting up 35. On the other side, you get Jacoby Brissett it's tough to figure him out right now right he's he's in that case keenum bucket the way we've always described him very good backup quarterback that can win a bunch of games and the whole thing 
he's another guy though depending on which game you see him right he's got two game two 90 plus game grades this year against pittsburgh back in week three and then the last time we saw him, monday night football against cincinnati he wasn't missing throws at all mm. he had that one bad turnover worthy play on a fumble slash interception what, what i don't even know what they called it but other than that he was he's had two games in prime time too where he just played pristine football and, and then there's other times anytime they're in a comeback you know, situation or whatever he's throwing picks and it's it's not so good so it all it depends on if Brissett shows up here man yeah the the Jacoby thing has kind of gone the way you think it should have going into the season which is he's been good and he's obviously capable of a really good game when everything's going well and generally like this is about as good as you could have expected this amount of games with Jacoby Brissett at the quarterback to go the problem is they've just come out on the crappy end of a bunch of really close games so their losses 31-30 against the Jets uh, 23-20 against the Falcons 28-30 against the Chargers 23-20 against the Ravens and then one pretty bad beatdown against the Patriots so like they've, they've got you know three wins in there but they've just lost all those close games if they'd won a couple of those they'd be you know they'd flip their record they'd be five and three and going into their ugly stretch which is now on the road against Miami on the road against Buffalo against Tampa Bay that's when when uh, Deshaun Watson comes back like they've just lost two games I think by really close margins that could be the difference between their season being alive and their season being dead at this point all right man so where are you leaning in this one it's Miami by three and a half by the way here I don't really see how the Browns can stop that Miami offense it would take some sort of superhuman effort from Miles Garrett to do something crazy and completely change and by the way like Miami has one of the few offensive tackles in the NFL as long as he's healthy and out there Teron Armstead who can actually kind of go one-on-one with Miles Garrett and hold their own so Armstead listed as questionable but he's been he's, he's been playing listening. he's all right that's the eternal question right if Armstead is out there I think he can do a reasonable job against Miles Garrett. And unless Miles Garrett has like one of the games of the ages, I don't see how that defense can slow down Miami. And I don't really see how Cleveland's offense can keep pace. So Miami and covering. All right, I'll take Miami as well to cover the three and a half. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance and investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Denver Broncos at the Tennessee Titans. Titans favored by three here against the Broncos. Broncos coming off a bye. Three and five Broncos, right? Against Titans, five and three. Titans, man, could be sitting at six and two if they could have just, you know, picked up a yard here and there in the second half against the Chiefs on Sunday night. I think I think they're going to look back at that as a blown opportunity against, you know, top two team in the AFC, the Chiefs. But um, will the Titans bounce back here this week to cover the three against Russ and the Broncos? Oh, I hate trying to predict anything about the Tennessee Titans. They still confuse me. I still don't understand anything about them. Um, it really comes down to the unsustainable with them, doesn't it? it but, but when you have a great... So, like, the, the easy analysis on red zone defense and turnover differential is those things always regress to the mean right if mm-hmm. you're extreme in one you can't count on that going forward but if you look at say bill belichick t- teams historically they're usually better in the red zone or they usually have a good turnover differential or whatever it is 
do you is that the coaching difference right can you start counting on that for the titans because they're good at situational football right which is like every coach emphasizes it they all practice it they all want to be good at it we're going to force turnovers we're going to win in the red zone it's like but you can't really just be good at it all the time but the titans have been like if that goes away if they lose that edge there are they one of the worst teams in the nfl what are the titans right now because those are their edges they score when they get into the red zone they just don't get in there very often so this features the number one red zone offense in the nfl the titans versus the number one red zone defense in the nfl in the broncos um and you also have the broncos red zone offense which is a yeah you know um so that's interesting um Denver has a really good pass defense, but they're not great against the run. They're 27th, I think, in, in average yards per carry against the, the run. Obviously, Tennessee is cooking right now with Derrick Henry. Even though the Titans' offensive line is definitely a way better run-blocking unit than it is pass protection, it has been forever, they're actually one of the worst teams in the league at generating yards before contact on average this season. Like, they're, I think only the Texans maybe are worse. So... The Derrick Henry thing, the, the recent resurgence in Derrick Henry is part Derrick Henry, part Malik Willis being in there and the threat that he brings and the, the way that changes how the defense has to play and sort of creates hesitation in assignments on defense. But it isn't actually them just going, you know what, we're a really good run-blocking team. We're going to line up and impose our will on you. Like, for example, Cincinnati did last week to Carolina. Like, that's not what's happening here. So... This is a sort of really intriguing aspect of this. Like, can Denver's defense actually do a job against that Titans run rush attack and force them to the air? Or are they simply going to get run on all day long? Like, I, I played on some defenses where we, we were really good against the pass, right? Like, if you put the ball in the air, there was a pretty good chance we were going to pick it off. But we were so bad against the run, we couldn't stop. To, we couldn't force teams to the air. So you know, you're back playing free safety or corner, thinking, "Oh, if we can just make them pass the ball, like we're going to have a bunch of turnovers. This game's going to cook." And then every time they ran the ball, it was a you know positive gain, and we were just sitting there going, "There never, there's no reason for them to ever put the ball in the air." That feels a little bit like what could happen to Denver here. Guys like Patrick Sertan on the back end, who's given up the longest pass he's given up this season at 20 yards. Him just like waiting, come on, test me. I dare you. I dare you. And they're just like Derrick Henry up the middle, six yards. Derrick Henry around the edge, six yards. Like, the man's going to spend his entire day throwing his face into Derrick Henry's thighs, hoping to bring him down. Man, it, it is a fascinating matchup. I mean, th- doesn't this feel, this one feel like it should be all the other Broncos scores 12 to 9, 13 to 9, yeah, 12 11. It feels like it's going to be in that, in that boat, right? I mean, all of that, too, the same thing we've said about Brady and um, Rodgers. Russ has had some physical difficulties, right? Last time we saw him was London, and he looked better overall. But he's dealt, he dealt with a hamstring injury. The high knees on the plane solved all that stuff. But <laughs> he's had the hamstring injury. He's had passes just come out of his hands that just aren't getting there the way they did. He actually does look a little physically different. But at any given point, can Russ just, you know, revert back to being one of the better quarterbacks in the league, right? I mean, that's, we're on Russ watch and Rodgers watch and Brady watch. I don't think every quarterback literally just falls off a cliff and you don't see them bounce back ever again. What happens with Russell Wilson? Can he do that? We need like an end of season 
roundup show, like the Daily Show or something, where we just highlight all the absurd things that happened in the season, like Russ's high knees and Jim Irsay hiring Jeff Saturday because he listened to Elton John. You know, all these absurd things that (laughs) if you told people this was going to happen a few months ago, they'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? You are on drugs. And that's that's the NFL right now. That's like, uh, that'll be our prediction show next year. We have to like seriously. We like, have to think about all this. You know, what's the out of left field thing I can think of this year? For me, it was like the Eagles will be in the Super Bowl. It turns out that's exactly what's happening. But like the actual craziest thing to suggest would be like a fan is going to wind up calling the final drive for you know Miami late in the season, or like that's how insane you have to be to actually match the reality of what the NFL does every year. Like Russell Wilson throws a game-ending interception skips the team plane back home to Denver so that he could run a simulated game until midnight and he's going to take his own private jet back because he's just so upset about his interception. Hmm. Like, if that was a prediction, you'd say, eh, I could see that happening. Yeah. I mean, last year, Urban Meyer's getting, you know, lap dances from college girls after road losses. So it's not like this year is completely crazy. And kicking his own kicker. Kicking his own kicker. Yeah. I mean, yeah, last year it was all Urban Meyer things. Yeah, but, but the same idea, right? Like This is were, like things that Urban Meyer could do, but other people are doing If it. you were running it, again, if you were saying, you know, preseason, what's the craziest thing that's about to happen? And you were actually told, you know what? Urban Meyer is going to be caught in a bar with a college chick in his lap, having kicked his own kicker weeks before. Like, again, people would be like, what are you, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Sounds but, like the show Playmakers. Yeah, it's but Playmakers that's actually on what goes on in the NFL every single year. All right, where are we here? Where are you leaning in this one? Tennessee, by, did we give any football analysis on this? Yeah, we talked about the red zone. Can't figure <laughs> out the Titans. And their run attack. I, I, think, I think Tennessee's rush attack is going to have success against Denver. I don't know that the Broncos are going to be able to force them out of this game plan. Um, the, the other, Tannehill was limited to practice yesterday, by the way. Yeah, so that's the interesting dynamic here is if Tannehill is back, do they learn from the experience of having Malik Willis there? Because I do think that the threat he brings as a running as a runner changed the way uh, defenders were able to contain the Tennessee run game, right? And it's not like so you're not going from like devastating athlete to chump, you know, when you swap out Malik Willis for Ryan Tannehill. Remember the famous Tannehill, like Tannehill was a wide receiver. Yeah, Tannehill can run. Tannehill can move. So. This is something that they really haven't tapped into enough with Ryan Tannehill as the quarterback. What if you scare the living crap out of defenses with the threat of the quarterback running? Now, Malik Willis is a better athlete than Ryan Tannehill, I think. He's certainly a better runner, like a better ball carrier. But it isn't like going from, you know, great rushing athlete at quarterback to Tom Brady. You're not completely changing what's on the table in terms of alignment, in terms of play calling. If they are doing a good job of self-scouting, the Titans, they should be looking at the last couple of weeks with Malik Willis, a quarterback, and thinking, how can we incorporate some of that into the offense when Tannehill is back? And if they do that, like, this is a really hard rushing attack to stop. Yeah, I mean, at some point, though, because Malik Willis could not throw, they didn't trust him to throw the other day, or they didn't believe that he could throw, the Chiefs really stacked the box and did shut down the Titans' run game. But as a change of pace... You, I think you need to tap into this, right? I, I said it all last year for the Niners that they should have used Trey Lance as a change of pace. I, w- I would like to see Malik Willis as a change of pace if Ryan Tannehill is the starter. 
I would like to see that. Yeah, I mean, I think, but but, but to at me, some point, Willis was—they did not trust him throwing, and the the Chiefs just stacked, literally stacked the box with nine dudes, and was like, "All right, yeah, go but, ahead." But I think the learning should be not, "Hey, what if what what's the package we can create for Malik Willis?" You know, what, how can we use Malik Willis like Taysom Hill? To me, the learning is, even though nobody thought that dude could pass the ball, we were better running the yeah, ball. Just like Tannehill what, keeping it every now yeah, and again. because of what he can do. Yeah. Like, how do we fold that into the offense? Because our, our regular starter is a really good athlete. Yeah, and more gun probably, runs and the whole thing. Yeah, and we, we don't use that enough. Give me Denver in this one to cover the three. I don't know if I'm just going to not believe in Tennessee all year. I just The red zone stuff's got to catch up to them <laughs> at some point, right? Uh, they do have that good tough defense they make life difficult but i think it's denver denver nine to eight in this one nine to eight nine to eight i'm gonna go with tennessee i think their run game is gonna function and be too much i want to see a nine to eight game i I don't that i don't want to see a nine to eight game or like a a five to four game i want to see that five to four arizona cardinals at the los angeles rams rams by three Rams will now have five their, to four. Feels like it must be Scarigami, right? Nobody's had a five to four. Game I mean, before. surely in the thirties and forties that happened. Even God, I don't know. A couple safeties, three safeties, and a field goal in the game. <laughs> Imagine. I've never been in a five to four game. I've been in both sides. That of feels a, like an Irish league. Yeah, score. I've been in both sides yeah. of a zero to two game. That feels like uh, North Reading versus Linfield High School, Massachusetts Division oh, Four. Yes. Nobody can move the ball. It's five to four, Hornets. There is like a there's a matrix online that shows you. Oh, so it's easy to find whether Scorigami? or not it's Scorigami. Give me a good Scorigami to predict here. Give me uh, a good something. Well, five to four might be it. I'm trying to dig. I'm trying to nine to eight. Trying to translate this weird matrix thing. I think nine to five eight to available. four is Scorigami. I want nine to eight. This is good. Cardinals at Rams. Rams favored by three. We have Matthew Stafford in concussion protocol and Kyler Murray, what was he? What's his injury? Hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. Both just, uh, nobody knew about either of these injuries until, on, until Wednesday. And um, I, you know, p- could potentially, we've got Colt McCoy, the backup for Arizona, John Wolford, the b- backup for the Rams. Don't know where Stafford's going to land as far as concussion protocol goes. It looks like Kyler Murray at least did practice today, though. So I'm assuming Kyler's going to play. But uh, Stafford went into concussion protocol on Tuesday. I don't know what happened in the game on Sunday that they didn't know he had a concussion until Tuesday, but something went down. So we could see John Wolford in this game behind a bad Rams offensive line. I, I, have, I have diagnosed the chart. Five to four has, in fact, never happened. It it's is, never happened. It is Gargami. I will not predict off. a five to score game, though. Five to four. How's nine to eight? Oh, God. Oh, do you have to like? No, no, forget why it. Do you maybe talk about Cardinals table. and Rams. Nine to eight is also scoring. I'm predicting nine to eight. Here we go. Injuries slash notes. So nine eight. I don't understand why the Rams are favored in this game. Tennessee. Tennessee is going to win nine to eight. Perfect. So okay. How about this? Like if you actually predict Scarigami correctly, you get like plus ten on your. I need that. Okay. I need that. (laughs) That's how you get back. I get one Scarigami a week. Yeah. A week. If you hit it, it's ten x. I'll use it on the Tennessee game. I'll say Tennessee nine to eight. Mm Denver covers, and I could use those 10 free games. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Well, now I have something to root for. So I don't understand why the Rams are favored in this game. Neither team's looking very good. Sure. But the Rams genuinely can't function as an offense. 
I think it all comes down to of, of the four units, two offenses and two defenses, the Rams defense is by far the best of the four. Yes. And I think that's where the advantage is. It's also comes the from. third most important of the four. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But it is it's the one that you can kind of count on week to week unless they're playing the 49ers. Well, I think you can count on their offense as well, but on a negative side. Like the Rams have the dead last offensive line in the NFL in terms of ranking in terms of pff grade in terms of pass blocking efficiency in terms of pressures allowed that offensive line is terrible and simply does not function matthew stafford's average depth of target is two yards lower than it was last year it's the lowest of his nfl career they are desperately trying to run any kind of offense that functions behind this kind of line and nothing does like, their entire offense is just trying to dump it off quickly to Cooper Cup and hope that he can make a play. And, you know, Arizona doesn't have the best pass rush in the world, but they've got three guys with 20-plus pressures this year. They can get enough pressure against random teams, you know, a generic league average team. They're going to get pressure against the Rams. So the Rams offense isn't scoring. Like, it's, it's going to put up, you know, 12 points 15 points like the standard struggling grinding their way to whatever they can get at the end of it so if arizona's offense which itself is struggling if they can get anything going they win the game yeah i could see that uh, of all the bets in this game on the pff app rams money line has a b that's the best one not not great value on any other line here pff app by the way everybody should check it out get your smart bets get your fantasy Get all Sam's great writing, but PFF app has the Rams money line as the best bet in this game. Cardinals reverted back, though, again last week. They were not good offensively, even with DeAndre Hopkins there. Like, that was the one saving grace for that offense. And I don't know, man. The over-under in this game, too, is 40 and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... You would not expect that coming into the season, that we're going to see Cardinals, Rams, and this defensive struggle. I just... I don't trust... I don't trust the Cardinals defensively. They have been kind of Titans-ish where the the underlying metrics are not good, but they'll have a random pick six by Azaven Collins. Great play, but like these are one-off plays, right? A strip sack, touch, it was a touchdown, right? It's Isaiah Simmons against the Vikings a couple weeks ago, strip sack. They're getting these one-off defensive touchdowns and the whole deal, but the underlying metrics on the Cardinals defensively, they can rush the passer pretty well. They could take advantage of the Rams' offensive line in that respect, but I don't trust this back seven in Arizona. Um, I also don't know if Stafford's going to play, so I don't know how we attack this thing. I would probably lean Rams, everything pointing away from them being good, but I would probably lean Rams by three with Stafford in. Hmm. But I don't feel strong enough about it that I'll take Arizona. What? Because I don't know if... I'm, I'm, I'm... banking that Stafford could might not play here so I'll take Arizona okay I would lean so I'm saying I would lean Rams if Stafford was playing but I'm hedging that Stafford I don't feel great about it I think the Cardinals win outright regardless of the quarterback what was the score a couple weeks ago where am I where's this game how long can we be silent they just played right quite a while Uh, I'm on the wrong page here didn't they just play? No, they played in week three. What was the score of that game? 20 to 12. Rams. Yeah. Yeah, Rams were better back then, too. Right. Oh, man. It's another 9 8 game. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love this at all. Back to back 9 8s. 
NFL Jessica. scorer got me twice. Whoever wins first. <laughs> this one feels like a... I, I love that we already had a 12-11 to 11 game this year. Denver and San Francisco. This could be 12-11. to 11. Could be in that mix. I'll take, I'll take Arizona here. All right, Detroit Lions at the Chicago Bears. This is one of the games of the week. 11-9 is Scorigami as well. 11-9. Can I get two Scorigami guesses here? You got 11-9. 11-9. AZ. A lot of ties out there as well for Scarigami if you you know you want to predict an eleven eleven tie. That's what I'm saying. You want to predict eleven eleven. Didn't That's... Arizona and Seattle they had a six six tie a couple of years ago on Sunday night football? Uh yeah, six six is that seven. was when like every time Russ made a big throw on uh prime time, he was like MVP Russ, MVP Russ, and he dropped six and never had five a quarters. Uh, never had a six to two, never had a six to four, never had a six to five. There's a lot of sixes out there for uh Scarigami. You've mastered that chart, haven't you? I have, I have. I've figured it out now. All right, let's roll through this. Detroit Lions at the Chicago Bears. The new look, exciting Chicago Bears. Uh-huh. And they're favored by three here at home. Yeah. Against the Lions. This feels like a shootout, doesn't it? Yes. The, the the Lions offense that seems to function, even though I'm never quite sure why, and then the new Chicago offense that taps into Justin Fields being one of the best athletes in the NFL, period, and one of the best quarterback athletes in the NFL. Like, doesn't it feel – I mean, we knew, obviously, that Justin Fields was a good athlete coming out. That's not new information. But doesn't just how far up that axis he is seem a revelation? Yes. Like, I'm not sure anybody, when Justin Fields is coming out, was like, this guy is one half step below Lamar, which is kind of where he is right now. I wouldn't say half step, but Lamar, I mean, Lamar is still special. To, but relative to anybody else, I mean, who's next on that list? Same thing we do with Josh Allen, right? I think I underestimated Josh Allen's yes. NFL athleticism and power and right. how that was going to play. Underestimated Justin Fields. I don't remember if I, I don't know if I said this to you off air or whatever. Justin Fields is doing what I thought Trey Lance would do. Yeah. Right? I looked at Trey Lance because, again, Fields, he's not throwing the ball well. Like, he's not – his passing grade's not great. It's better. He's getting better. But even when when this revelation started and we saw Monday night football against the Patriots, there were still multiple turnover-worthy plays and missed throws. But the running raises the floor, right? This is what I thought Trey Lance was going to be. Inconsistent passer – and potentially elite runner. Design run game, scramble game. We haven't seen enough of Trey Lance to even understand this yet. But Fields' running ability, I didn't think he would need to rely upon it, right? That's why I think I underestimated it. I didn't think he would need it. I thought he'd be a better passer. Inconsistent, take too many negative plays. But I, I really thought we saw, saw like a Ryan Tannehill type of player, right? Who's a pass-first player who, when he runs, is, is good. But Fields has is now adding so much value as a runner and it, it kind of is that old adage right you let a guy run a little bit as he's developing as a passer and maybe it's it the the thing that's going to happen now is much like a lamar jackson in baltimore there are going to be more open throws in this offense as the bears start to add wrinkles off of the design run game and you got play action and, and, and when you talk about play action when the quarterback's an option to run you have to like that's even more pressure on the defense that's why there's so many open throws in the Ravens offense so that's the next evolution of this for the Bears is they're going to create even more open throws for that offense puts less pressure on Dar- Darnell Moon Cole Komet's making plays now at tight end because the tight end is going to eat in a play action heavy offense like this you know or run heavy offense that runs play action so it is exciting watching where this Bears offense is going 
in addition to Fields' development. He, he has been better as a passer. He's been elite as a runner. Yeah, he really has been. And I, I think that is a little bit of a shock relative to, to what I would, was expecting from Justin Fields coming into the NFL, let alone this season. Um, by the way, like a quarter of the people watching this right now have hit the like button. That's not. We, we got a call to action enough. at the start of the show, you know, and said, hey, let's get everybody to hit the like button. And, you know, a few people This did. isn't everybody. This isn't everybody. It's, it's very not everybody. It's, it's like a quarter of people. So I, we need everybody else to hit the like button. Otherwise, how can we possibly expect to be as big as that Mr. Beast guy on YouTube? You know? Who's that? He's like the biggest YouTuber in the world. Oh, we should, we should challenge him. That's what I'm saying. How do you expect to get to where he is if not everybody is going to hit the like likes. button? It's not, not with 80 enough. likes. It's not with 80 likes. No. So we need, need to get to 1,000 likes by the end of the show. At We're least. 80. Yeah. I mean... I would never set unrealistic goals never. like that. No. We're at 80. Let's make it 3 million. Let's get to 3 million. 3 million. Anyway, we appreciate Feels you for just uh, um, smashing the like button. Look, we're already at 100. There you go. See? So Good move. I, I think, you know, I don't see how Detroit slows down this Chicago offense if they do what they've been doing the last few weeks. And then I don't really see how the Bears defense can live with the, the randomly inexplicable Detroit offense. So this feels like a game that's actually going to be stupidly exciting with a ton of points. Oh, man. I don't know what to make of Detroit, though. Like, was that really a, a turn-the-corner game? Were they just going up against this incompetent Packers offense? Yes. That's all it was? I mean, they had three interceptions in the red zone. Yeah. Three basically in the end zone. I mean, one right outside of it, but, you know. Yeah. That's going to change the outcome of a lot of games. Oh, man. Now I'm buying in the Bears. Yeah. Embrace it. I'm buying into the Bears. Uh-huh. But this is what we've said. I mean, I think I said it way back in week two when the, um, the, we thought that the Packers were good and, they were play, and the Bears were playing them on Sunday Night Football. And it's like, this should be uh, – the Packers should crush them, and they ended up crushing them. But the only thing that would save the Bears was Fields, his ability that we know he's capable of, like it just takes over. I'm starting to see that with Fields yeah. these, last, these last few weeks. And that is a game changer, right? The Bears now have something to, to build upon. And when we look at the last year's quarterback class, Trevor Lawrence coming off a good game, whatever, but – Fields may have, in like four weeks, all of a sudden the Bears might be the most optimistic, realistically optimistic about their quarterback. You have unrealistic optimism with the Jets and Zach Wilson, but realistic optimism, the Bears and Fields. I mean, it's a little weird because they're one and two in the time that just that this offense has looked a little different, where they've actually tapped into Justin Fields as an athlete in addition to a quarterback. But they put up 33 points, 29 and 32. Like they they've been consistently yeah their up defense a ton of has points. been terrible but that's like they're a rebuilding team still yeah Justin Fields is like one of the top fantasy quarterbacks in the NFL which obviously factors in the rushing yards you know and all like they have put up points they've looked different this offense now succeeds um, but it it's not necessarily enough to actually win games now two of those games are Dallas and Miami so yeah that's part of the reason now you get to face Detroit who aren't that good all right give me Chicago to cover the three. <sighs> I, I'm going to go with Detroit covering the three, but in some sort of monstrous shootout game. Monstrous shootout game. Detroit covers the three. All right, Washington Commanders at the Philadelphia Eagles. This is your Monday night football game. Yay. Yay. That's not even a Manning cast game. They're taking a break. Hmm. Damn it. Eagles by 11. Yeah. Take the Eagles. <laughs> Doesn't this feel like the kind of game where Heineke throws like three interceptions? 
Yeah, like the the YOLO ball that he threw at the referee and three Vikings yeah. might not land in a commander's hand this time. Mm. Somebody corrected me. That wasn't uh, Mark Sanchez. That Somebody stole Mark Sanchez's turn of phrase. Was it Schlereth? Uh, Did he steal it or was it just... I've only... Well... You just thought it was Sanchez. I've only heard Mark Sanchez use that phrase before. So either it's way more common than I think it is, which is entirely plausible. I'm not was writing that off as a possibility. Schlereth. I forget who he said Schlereth it was. loves good uh, analytics. It might not have been Schlereth. Phrase. But anyway, whoever it was wasn't Mark Sanchez. Somebody else used the term, threw, threw it into a defensive team meeting. Either way, it's a great phrase. We should get Mark on the show here. Man 101. We're getting a lot of dead air in this podcast. Is this a... Yeah. Yeah. A lot of just straight awkward silence, silence. yeah, yeah. It's, it's really good we got some great games to recap here too anyway my yeah the the, the yolo ball into the, the defensive team meeting the ball to jair alexander that terry mclaren then goes and fixes like all these throws that that taylor Heineke has been relying on the last few weeks all of a sudden you're throwing those into the dbs that the eagles have who are amongst the best in the nfl in addition to the pass rush they can bring to the table to make you make more questionable decisions in the first place this feels like the other end of variance for Taylor Heineke. The one thing that keeps this close is Washington's defense, right? They got torched early in the season. Um, they already lost to the Eagles 24 to 8 back in week mm-hmm. three. The Eagles Eagles won 24 to 8. The Eagles were up, it was a 24 nothing. And there was a point in that game where Washington had negative two net passing yards in the like the middle of the third quarter. Carson Wentz was still playing quarterback. And that was one of those Eagles games where they dominated the first half and didn't do much in the second half they've had multiple games now where the eagles they um, crushed the vikings in the first half didn't do anything in the second half really did the same thing against washington the eagles don't really put together two halves all the time yeah um that's like the one thing that kind of keeps this thing close maybe the taylor heineke has some of the widest pressure no pressure splits in the nfl He's Zach Wilson-esque at the moment. We have a pass rating of 125, or 123.5, rather, when kept clean, and a pass rating of 36.6 when not kept clean. 36.6 is worse than throwing the ball at the dirt every play. He also, I've seen some of those charts that um, our uh, football Twitter friends, like Ben, it might have been Ben Baldwin's, but the discrepancy between PFF grade and EPA. Yes. Right? And Heineke's got decent epa for his grade right what and that is purely terry mclaren right that is purely either terry mclaren or curtis samuel last week yeah but you know luck getting bailed out so heineke's due for a regression he also he has the same level i think the worst turnover worthy play rate in the nfl yes the worst 8.2 percent is the turnover worthy so play rate all Three. of this stuff is adding up for to the e, the eagles have the advantage that's why it's an 11 point spread bad is five percent 8.2% is catastrophically bad. That's not good. So what keeps it close, potentially, is the Washington's defense has been much better in recent weeks. How much of that is the teams they've played, right? They played the Bears before they changed things. Mm-hmm. Thursday Night Football. They played the Packers, who the more we realize, it's it's just not the Packers, right? They've played the Colts in Sam Ellinger's debut. And they played the Vikings. They played the Vikings t- tough last week. But even then, it's like end zone interception. That's a tip. You know, you get a couple lucky plays there to kind of keep it close. But Washington's defense has played much better in recent weeks. So that's the one thing that could keep it close, but I'm not buying it. I think the Eagles dominate. Yeah, I, I think that the Heineke variance is going to come back down to earth with a vengeance this week, and we're going to see a bunch of turnovers. 
All right, Jacksonville Jaguars. We're both taking the Eagles. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs by nine and a half here. Just read your notes. Just read my notes. Uh, oh, dear. Good note. That's all I got. On the game. Yeah. This is one. I remember last year, the Jaguars beat the Bills nine to six, right? Out of nowhere. Yeah. But that's a Josh Allen. Oh, game. somebody said I always pronounce uh, the Jags. I, I just pronounce it wrong. What? Do I pronounce the Jags name wrong? Jags? Jaggy, is it Jaggy Wires? Jaggy the, the, Wires? That's one of those words that nobody can decide how it's pronounced. Okay. I'm there's not like way three, off, right? Jaguars? Jaguars. There's at least like three, Jaguars. maybe four different pronunciations of that word. And it depends where you're from. It depends. Like if you're from Europe or you speak English as opposed to American English, it's Jaguar. Jaguar. But if you're from... Neil says Jaggy Wires. Look, Neil is never a Jaggy, place to go for correct pronunciation. Jaggy Wires. Neil is from England and doesn't speak English. Like this Got is, it. Okay. So not the person to, to listen to. Um, but then there's Jaguars, Jaguars. Like it, no, it's just we can't can't get into how to pronounce that word. You just can't. I'm just gonna go. I'm, I'm self conscious now. I'm just gonna say Jags. Sure. So the Jags beat the Bills nine to six last year. It was the Josh Allen defensive end game. Yes. It feels like they need something special from their defense here, right? Yeah. Something special where they're special players. What Trayvon Walker is supposed to be, Josh Allen rushing the passer, rookie Devin Lloyd, Tyson Campbell, like all these guys need to step up and have a good game. Um, they also need to have an answer. I mean, here's the thing. Mahomes and the Chiefs, th- that offense disappeared for a chunk of time on Sunday Night Football. But it also shows like the standard that they have set, right? The Chiefs, that when they disappear for two and a half quarters, it's like, uh-oh, what's happening? Yeah. Right? But in the end, they still find a way to put points on the board to win. They did it with Mahomes' legs instead of through the air. I mean, they, they, he threw for 446, but it was on like 70-plus dropbacks. I'm, but I'm saying Chiefs are still really good offensively. It's going to be tough. It's tough to put four quarters together to shut them down the Jags are going to need a special performance defensively yeah the last time these two teams met was in 2019 and week it was one 40 yes Sam, was, Sammy Watkins three touchdowns right and it was 40 to 26 the time before that was 2018 it was 30 to 14 uh and those are the only Mahomes games that they've played but I mean that's the same kind of thing right where the Chiefs are gonna put up 30 minimum against Jacksonville and then it's what can Trevor Lawrence do against a viable defense? And if he doesn't play like he did last week, minimum, it's not even close. I mean, how about that storyline, too? Put aside for one second the fact that Trevor Lawrence, a year and a half into his career, hasn't played very well, right? That we've looked at just individual good games and said, there it is, there it is, there it is. That's happened like six times, right, in a year and a half. But when you draft a Trevor Lawrence a couple of years ago, you're envisioning, we hope we have this guy that can compete with Mahomes, right? And now that can compete with the Josh Allens, right? The guys that can compete with them. So last week, Trevor Lawrence, maybe the best game of his career, it was against the Raiders. Like you mentioned, it kind of happens at like, you know, it's at the one o'clock game. Nobody's watching. doesn't matter. Can this be the game for Trevor Lawrence? Can this be the game where he builds off of last week and he shows I'm that guy. I'm that Andrew Luck level prospect. I'm going to go head to head with Mahomes in Kansas City. This nine and a half point spread is ridiculous. I'm Trevor Lawrence. I'm here. I've arrived. Second half of my sophomore year. You're going to start to see it, and we're going to do it right here in Kansas City. I don't know if this is just a high draft pick thing, 
but the the lengths people seem to go to to like credit a good prospect slash bad NFL player with anything is pretty like I can't quite so somebody was tweeting earlier you know look at this play from Jeffrey Akuda. this is growth you know right after he just got hosed for a touchdown he made a nice play to stop the two-point conversion like that's a play he didn't make last year look at this development now we're cooking it's like okay but in order to give him credit for that you have to overlook getting absolutely owned on the touchdown one play before yes it's great you know the db has to have a short memory yada 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 that's that's nice but this is a really low bar we're setting now like can you make a good play sometime after getting owned for a touchdown if and we're doing people do the same thing for trevor lawrence it's like can can you have one half decent game you know can you just show something ever or other people pointing out like look at this one play where it's perfect technique where he goes through his reads and this is this is textbook this is what it should look like like yeah but what about the 15 plays before that like why are we tying ourselves in knots trying to credit just these let guys me paint this picture of last week was the day that now he's turned the corner he was so good last week trevor yeah. he was so good but even last week it was like it was more sort of nice efficient play and you know not asking too much and it wasn't amazing i just love the play where he had pressure in his face he sides but that's the thing right it's like here look at this one play where it looks amazing i'm I'm in i'm in we saw it the jags are gonna get walloped yeah probably yeah i'll take the chiefs to cover but i'm just i'm trying to paint the picture of what what could happen (laughs) right everybody who's young and up and coming on the jags has to play well Oh, that's all. Yeah. This is one of those games where you're like, you know, every year I say this, that there are games in an NFL season where before the the week starts, you're like, there is no way that this team can beat the other team. And somehow that team wins that week, right? I mean, the Bills-Jags last year was one of those games. You look at it and they're like, there's literally no possible way this team beats the other team. This is one of those games where there's no conceivable no i mean I, I think it's different i think here's what's conceivable right the jags are not last year's jags like last year's jags were a train wreck start to finish this year's jags were they've shown sides of life right they they were two and one once they did destroy <laughs> the chargers right they played they were up 14 nothing on the eagles uh-huh. right I'm, this was not this is not last year's jags this is a competitive jaguars team even though they're Two and uh, three and six, right? It's also a Chiefs team who's they're very good, but as I just mentioned, they hit some lulls, right? They hit a lull against Tennessee. They randomly lost against the Colts. Like this isn't last year's Jags, you would say no shot. This year's Jags, like you could you again, you could paint a picture of, of it happening. The here. picture that you need to paint is so divorced from reality though. It's a Picasso. It it's happen. a little out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's an abstract. It's <laughs> a no, it's matter? a Who's the guy? The Salvador Dali, right? With the melted clocks and stuff where you're looking at like, or the, damn it, this is Ben's favorite artist. And I can't remember the guy's name. The one with the confusing, um, like f- tricks of physics, you know, where the stairs go this way and then the other way. And it I don't know. messes with the dimensions. That's the kind of picture you need to paint in order for this to actually come true. I just need one Josh Allen game. <laughs> one Josh Allen. But he only can, he can only steal the Josh Allen. Maybe maybe if Josh Allen, the quarterback, doesn't play this week, all the power goes to Josh Allen, the defensive end. See? And maybe Josh Allen, the name, is the Chiefs' kryptonite. The could name. be coming from the Bills, could except be coming they, from the Jacks. Except they beat them last in the playoffs. Well, this year. 
this year's kryptonite. The Bills have won two out of three. How many teams win two out of three from the Chiefs? Uh, Not many. All right. I'll take the Chiefs to cover the nine and a half here. Yes. Saints at the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Saints are favored by one and a half here. Kenny Pickett coming back off the bye. Two and six Steelers against the three and six Saints. Saints are confusing. They should just be better. Just be better. <laughs> There's a few teams that are like that. Um, the I, Saints or Trevor Lawrence. Just be better. Yeah, yeah. They, they've been – well, certainly the defense has been ticking up in recent weeks. Like, their, their defensive line has the talent to be one of the better units in the NFL, and it really wasn't for the first five weeks of the season. They were amongst the worst teams in the league at generating pressure. They just weren't doing their job like, overall. But they just got – dominated by the Ravens they did but they've been ticking up in terms of pass rush and actual threat with with being able to pressure the quarterback and stuff to me the big question in this game is like can we get a clean Kenny Pickett game because I do think that he has changed that offense and provided a certain spark that Mitchell Trubisky didn't bring to the table but he has got at least two turnover worthy plays in three of his four starts and the one where he didn't have a turnover-worthy play, he had 3.7 yards per attempt. So as much as the optimism, you know, is, is there, we're in danger of reaching this, like, of putting him in the same bucket as the Trevor Lawrence thing. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of good here if you just overlook all these plays where he's throwing the ball to the defense. Like, they need a game where Kenny Pickett doesn't do that and still maintains the other stuff that looks reasonably good. And, you know, against the Saints defense, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, Saints are coming off their worst game of the season after they dominated the Raiders, right? The If there's one thing so far with the Dennis Allen era of the Saints, it has to be the inconsistency, right? It's just, how do you measure consistency? Like It, it often comes from the head coach, but this is just an inconsistent brand of football with the Saints. You know, it's like, all right, they turned the corner. They The Raiders didn't cross midfield with their starters. And, and then the next week, the Raven, they had their worst game. Monday Night Football in the Dome. The Saints always play well in the Dome, all that stuff. Uh, Chris Olave has been fantastic. Andy Dalton's played better than the stats would indicate. He's, he's been decent. Um, better, you know, throwing the ball well. Again, coming off of his worst game as well. But I don't know. I like the, I like the Saints. I'm going to bet on the Saints' inconsistency here, that they bounce back from a terrible Monday Night Football game and their defense – is going to give Pickett some problems. Yeah. The pass defense can give Pickett some problems. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I, I just – Pickett has been too consistent at making the, the mistakes and too inconsistent – or too consistently inconsistent for them to, I think, have a good game. Now, I think – are we getting T.J. Watt back in this There's, game? T.J. Watt's going to play. Probably not the whole game. He'll be on a pitch count, I believe. Because that is a game changer for yes. them. Like Watt is a game changer. Completely transforms that defensive front. There's a lot of controversy around Pittsburgh. Jalen Warren, the backup, undrafted uh, free agent rookie uh, running back, has been creating some explosive plays. People want to see him steal carries from Najee Harris. The only thing, by the way, dumber than drafting Najee Harris in the first round to fix your running game is benching him because it's unproductive this year. Like – I don't how can you not see that these are two two outputs of the same thing like what you are seeing here is the the lack of effect that the running back can have on the run game if the other stuff sucks that's why this is happening both times yeah 
I, the roster was getting worse, and they drafted a running back. You're like you're reading the results incorrectly here. Oh, I can't wait. I love Bijan Robinson this year. The Texas running back is fantastic. He is one of the most valuable players in college football, and he's awesome. And he might go top fifteen next year. I I cannot wait to find out if the NFL has said never again will we have a top twenty running back, or if Bijan Bijan's the best prospect since whoever McCaffrey whatever people thought Fournette was I thought Dalvin was better than Fournette either way curious to see what happens there Barkley Saquon Barkley was the last great one right right and he went two but I don't know man that's going to be interesting to see the uh two painters I was thinking of the chat has come up with one of them um Escher was the one with the staircases across multiple angles and stuff and then Ben Stockwell's famous or famous favorite painter is a guy called rob gonzalez some canadian guy that does magic surrealism type of stuff either one of those that's the kind of painting you need to paint the picture you need to paint in order for the jacks for the to Jack. win this game see i think you could paint the bob ross what i have no idea just wanted to drop bob ross okay i used to paint with him my grandmother used to set me up oh like you used to watch the tv and then try and ride. yeah 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 not like because that would have been news. That would have I, been a good story. I used to paint with, whoa. I grew my hair out yeah. like him, right? I mean, it's just the whole thing. I mean, that's what the Fro Show looked like. You look Fro like Bob show. Ross. Yes, Bob. We could have said, you, that you should you should absolutely, like whenever you do your next Halloween costume or dress or you know, fancy dress or something, the Fro comes out and then just a giant paintbrush and an apron or something, That that's how you, mm. you, that's how you should go with it. The Fro is historically a big part of my costumes. I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah. Take the Saints to cover this. I, I want to finish. I want that Colts game to be last. Give us some time on that. Okay. Finish up. Let's skip. Let's go. Houston Texans at the New York Giants. What are you looking for here? Giants are finally favored. The six and two Giants are favored yeah. by five here. So this is a chance for the Giants to show that they are better than the respect they're getting. You know, Vegas hasn't bought into the Giants at all this season. Um, every week, you seem like you seem they roll the game rolls around, and the Giants are underdogs against teams they have a much better record against. Um, and, you know, okay, last week they, they lost to Seattle, but that was a bit of a weird game with some, some strange plays here and there. Not last week, week eight. Um, this was a chance for them to go out and say, all right, the Texans stink. We are better than the Houston Texans, and we are going to go out there and show that we are worth a 6-2 and two record and just blow past the team that we are supposed to beat. So, all right, that's your challenge, Giants. Can you go out there and do that? Challenge accepted. The um, I wanted to see what Davis Mills looks like against the blitz, against the Giants. You know, the Giants are going to blitz. They blitz as much as anybody, more than anybody. Yeah. Pretty good, actually. Yeah. He's got a better grade against the blitz than he does against no blitz. 7.7 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, no picks, one turnover-worthy play in there. But Davis Mills and the Texans have been much better against the blitz. Could be a nice little matchup for them. Yeah, Damian Pierce, always worth watching for the Houston Texans. Um, but yeah, I think it is, you know, a prove-it game for the Giants. If, if they come out of this, they, they could go 7-2. and two. They, What if they trudge through it and just win? Because they are better than the Texans. They just win. They're 7-2, and two, but they don't, they don't dominate. Most interesting. They're still confused. Yeah, the, the most Giants. interesting uh, stat for the Davis Mills blitz stuff is has not thrown an interception against the blitz. Five touchdowns, no interceptions. Yeah, yeah it just has the one turnover-worthy play in there. Versus five and eight when he's not yep. blitzed, so the so something to watch there where it could that could work in the uh, the Texans' favor. 
You got anything else on this? Uh, Giants like to run. So this is where the Houston run defense. We, we had Seth Payne on last week. I thought he did a great job lamenting how bad they were against <laughs> the run. And uh, that's where the Giants could have this huge advantage. Dexter Lawrence has been one of the best players for the Giants this year. Game wrecker, uh, somebody mentioned this week. Yeah, Kenyon Green has been struggling quite badly against good interior linemen. That feels like a pretty monstrous mismatch in the Giants' favor. So that's that's one way they win this. Um, last week, Jerry Hughes showed signs of life against a pretty good offensive tackle in Jordan Mailata. Andrew Thomas has been the best left tackle in the NFL this season. Does he completely eliminate Jerry Hughes again? If that happens... The Texans don't get any pass rush. So in addition to being a better team, there's a few individual ways the Giants match up really well here, and I think they should actually end up rolling. Yeah, I don't see the Giants as a rolling type of team and the Texans as a they-don't-get-rolled type of team. Feisty. Got kind of rolled last week. Right, and they covered. They covered 14 points they by covered. one. Covered. Yeah. They're cover again. That's, that's kind of getting rolled. No, because it's all it's baked in. You're expecting them to get rolled, and they didn't. They exceeded expectations. They didn't. If you're expecting them to get rolled, and they covered by one, they still got rolled. They did not. They covered. They, it's binary. No, it isn't. It certainly is. No. And they're going to binary cover this one as well. Gonna, cover the five. Okay. All right, let's wrap it up. Indianapolis Colts at the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders by six. Can't believe we didn't make this game of the week. <laughs> Giants have had enough games of the week. This is not one. Oh, the, you want the Vegas one to be? Yeah, yeah. Vegas Colts. Colts, Colts Raiders. All right, the game of the week. Uh-huh. Jeff Saturday's Colts at yes. Josh McDaniels Raiders. Uh-huh. Somebody tried to say we were being disrespectful to Jeff Saturday yesterday on the show. I mean, no. One no, 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 no. We were we being were disrespectful to Jeff Saturday's credentials. There's a very different thing. Yeah. I thought his, inter- you know, his interview was great. He's like, I don't know if I'll be good at this. We'll find out at the end Jeff of the day. Jeff Saturday was a great player and by all accounts is a very nice guy. He is a joke of a candidate for head coach. The other interesting thing about just an interim coach, nothing about the interim coach actually matters. I'm just thinking about all this. Like, whoever they put as the interim coach (laughs) doesn't actually matter for the future. Uh Unless Saturday is so good at it that he becomes, like, the next hire. But I also don't think we learn anything in eight games about Saturday the future of the Colts, or any of that stuff, right? In the offseason, if you go and you say, Jeff Saturday is my guy, right? We're signing him. To, he's a four-year contract. He's our guy. Then that's an interesting move, right? Because we've said it's an interesting move. We use the word interesting a lot. It's an interesting move to get, not because he's inexperienced, but to get a non-traditional candidate, maybe a CEO type, uh, you know, uh, a culture type rather than the coordinator. That's interesting, Happening mid-season on a phone call on a Sunday, it's like, ah, it's just the thing that Jim Arcee did. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's not just that, but it's, it's outright, again, not nepotism, but cronyism was the word somebody suggested for that. It's, I can't think of a better one, so let's roll with that. Like, I actually have quite a degree of sympathy for the concept of let's hire somebody, somebody completely out of left field like you're saying, let's go to a completely non-traditional role because when you actually evaluate the skill set required for this particular job, it isn't, you know, X's and O's uh, on-field coaching stuff. It's, compl- it's a m- way more CEO style of jobs. Like, remember when the Browns were supposedly going to get Condoleezza Rice as, like, president or GM or something? 
And it's like, all right, that was sounds... she interviewed on the coaching staff too, potentially? I don't know. I or don't was remember. it the front I office? I think it was the front office. I think it was GM. But that sounds on the face of it insane. But when you start to break down, like, what are the actual areas of responsibility for this job? It's like, okay, that's not as crazy as it sounds. I have a sympathy. I have sympathy for the concept that this is similar. And if they turned up to that press conference and outlined the the idea like that, I would buy in and say, all right, this is a crazy move on the surface, but I actually think it's a brave and interesting decision, and that's fascinating, right? But they didn't. They went out and basically said, well, the real benefit to Jeff Saturday is that he has no idea about analytics and won't be burdened down by the pressure that's on coaches to just be good. So it's, I mean, that's it's excellent. Like, part, like of all the things that Ursay said, like you rank the most concerning things. Yeah. Right? That would be... the. That's one of them. But you can actually make a case for Jeff Saturday that that sounds interesting. Because somebody pointed out on Twitter that, like, this was a guy that was president of the NFLPA when he was a player. Like, yes. this is somebody that has led people and has organized and has been That's a, head coach's a job. structural CEO yes. in, in a different world than what we're talking about with coaching. So if that was their case... You know, if they come out and said, look, this guy was president of the NFLPA. Like, do you understand the bureaucracy, the kind of organizational leadership that that involves? This is why he's a good candidate, right? That would make you go, okay, there's been some thought into this. And it's, it's an out there idea. But let's, I, I'm, I'm here for that. Let's see how it works. But instead, they roll in there and like, look, what's, what can we say that isn't like, I like Jeff, so I hired Jeff? Because that's what they did, right? So that's what I have a problem with is that this is not... Like, the process was a joke. I mean, again, the, the kernel of truth in there, I think, is he won't be bogged down by <laughs> knowledge. No. <laughs> Priors, I guess. But that but that should work the other way. It should be like, well, he won't be the guy that's super conservative and punts. He's going to be open-minded. But this is why, like, by the know way. The people, like, we know the people who are in the Colts front office who are going to be feeding Jeff Saturday his information on fourth yeah. downs and personnel and, and all that stuff. And because he, he is a smart guy that's led people. Like yeah. He's going to listen to information, I assume. And this is why, by the way, in all of the joking and dismissing of hiring Jeff Saturday as a coach we've done, nowhere have we said that he will be bad. Never. Be or he will have a bad record. Um, yeah. Because, again, I also don't think anything that happens in these eight games will actually determine how good of a head coach he would be sure. over a four-year period. But, but again, like the idea that this head coach in the NFL is a very different job than simply being a good X's and O's, you know, on-field coach. It's For a sure. completely different thing. Now, maybe arguably his biggest problem is that before hiring him, they fired the two people with offensive expertise on the team, right? So all of a sudden he comes in and it's like, well, who, who have I got to help me with this? Like play calling, you know, that may be his biggest problem. But I don't think it's it's a one-to-one -one idea of the process was a joke, therefore he will be a joke. Completely agree. Um, it's interesting. It's fascinating. The, the, the easiest things for us to evaluate are the fourth down decisions because they're just the things that you see. I think those are certainly overrated, but they're interesting. I don't think we ultimately learned anything about Saturday, as I said, good or bad. I just think this is, I mean, this is compelling TV oh, it's compelling, to watch his first sure. game and see how this works. Like, what does Jeff Saturday do during the game on the field? Because this will be micro, like this will be hyper analyzed under a microscope. We are going to be second guessing and debating everything he does in the course of this game. And if it's bad, 
You know, if he has a Nathaniel Hackett game one, the, like the scrutiny and the takes are going to be off the charts. PFF Power Rankings have the Colts with the number 32 offense. Um, that is with Matt Ryan at the helm for all but one, all but two games. Sam Ellinger has shown nothing through the first couple games, so he'll have to be much better if they're going to cover the six. Six-point spread, right, for the uh, – yeah, Raiders by six. I, I mean, I just think the Raiders – the Raiders should be a better team. I know they keep blowing these seven-point, 17-point leads or anything, but – at the same time, the same way we said, hey, if the Ravens keep blowing all these leads, they got to be good enough to get up at that point. Raiders are better than their 2-6 and six record. I think the Raiders cover this. I think the Colts are going to cover. Because why the hell not? First, you know, new, new coach bump. Yeah. You get the new coach bump. Also, I mean, the, you know, the Raiders are not good. So I know Saturday tweeted that just two weeks ago or a week ago. <laughs> he, really? he, said, he said the Raiders are terrible. <laughs> That's how, I mean, that's what, this is what makes this situation so hilarious. He's watching football on Sunday and tweeting that the Raiders are terrible. And then he gets a phone call, like, come fix our protections. Perfect. You're the head coach. Oh, line coach? No, no, no. Head coach. Mm. So you want me to come in as like a consultant? No, no, no. It's your show. It's your show. Fix our protections and everything else. (laughs) The whole thing. I love it. So yeah, compelling, compelling television for sure. I'm in. I'm 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 all for it. If this is a game that I can put as the second screen, I'm I'm watching this start to finish. This in the what else do we have in the four o'clock window here? Well, hopefully there's more than two, like last week. Yeah, I don't think they're having that. All right, is that all the games? I hope so. Sure, hope so. We've ne- we haven't missed one all year. Really? Yeah. Last year we missed. It's a better strike rate than last missed year. Missed two, yeah, two or three, maybe. It was always the Titans. Always the Titans, but this year we have remembered the Titans. Wow. That said, week ten, everybody enjoy it. Enjoy Thursday night football, Falcons Panthers. It's a, that's a difficult mic to drop, but you, Just, you know, yeah. It's not like it would wreck the stand any more than it's already wrecked. So, Mike, drop that mic you and let's end the, the show right mic. now. This thing's a mess. We appreciate everybody. Hit that thumbs up on the way out. If you don't mind, all of our YouTube listeners, viewers, and uh, appreciate all the listeners having a great year here. A lot of fun. The NFL. Go check out the PFF NFL daily. We talk about the entire first half of the year and the biggest surprises. Mm-hmm. And shout out to all of our sponsors. Prize picks. Uh, underdog this week. And everybody. Everybody else. Everybody else. Yeah. And the show. Western and Southern. Thanks to everybody for Rapid. tuning in. See you Monday.